Today, we are on the last uh, week of our sermon series on caring for God's good creation. And many of us are really good caretakers. Pipa said it earlier in her prayer, like we, we were made to care for each other and we sometimes do a really good job of that and sometimes we, we don't. But many of us are really good caretakers. We care for children or our parents or our spouses or our friends because we do understand that it's a command of God that we care for one another. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible that, that support that. There are a lot of passages that tell us just that thing. Uh, there are some really good verses. Some of them may have been pushed on you, though, in an unhealthy way. I think maybe this is true for women, maybe more so for men. But uh, these are really important verses that we look at. So for one example, Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says this, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Now, if we reflected on the life of, let's say, Mother Teresa, we would witness a woman who selflessly devoted herself to others. She left everything that she owned behind. I think she listened to my message last weekend on stuff. And she devoted herself wholly, it seems, to serving others and being selfless. She embodied these two verses. Now, however, it is essential for us to recognize that Mother Teresa's selflessness stemmed from a deep understanding of her own worth and purpose in God's plan. So just as we want for our children, whether it be our children or our nieces or nephew or grandchildren or whatever kids in your life, we want our own children to treat themselves with love and respect. God desires the same for us, for his children. And we cannot, as the saying goes, we cannot pour from an empty cup. We must first replenish ourselves through self-care to serve others effectively. Now, for some of us, it's easier. It's easier to serve and care about all the other parts of God's creation except for ourselves. And the verse that we read in Philippians sometimes can make us feel a little guilty when we take care of ourselves. We're supposed to do nothing for ourselves, only thinking about others, the passage says. But the Bible also contains verses and passages reminding us to take care of ourselves because we are part of God's good creation. It can be lonely, though, sometimes if you are working really hard and serving others. It can be lonely to be humble and selfless in a world that seems to be all about me. Now, I wonder if Mother Teresa ever thought that she was the only one left working for God. Like, she was the only one that really cared enough to sacrifice so much of her life to do God's work. Well, Elijah, a prophet in the Bible, felt like that. 
He was exhausted from doing God's work. He was threatened and he felt like a failure. He felt like he was the only one left that really cared about Yahweh. And so he ran. And not in a, I'm going to train for the Lincoln Marathon kind of run. He like ran away from the work that he was called to do. Now, it's not clear at first if he knew where he was running to, but at some point he decides to run to where God had appeared to Moses on the mountain long ago. And this kind of pilgrimage is pretty impressive because we don't find this kind of pilgrimage in in the Bible elsewhere. But Elijah is threatened. So he goes into the wilderness because he's giving up. Now, essentially, he, he, he purposely runs into the wilderness. He is running into death, or so he planned. So this passage is found in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're starting with verse 3. It says, Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went farther on into the desert, a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. He he said, it's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him and said to him, get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flat bread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him, get up. The messenger said, eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate, and drank, and went refreshed by the food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, Elijah was doing good work. He was doing God's work. He was doing the hard work but he's kind of over it after he was threatened. And he speaks here to God for the first time. And God provides Elijah food and water and rest and shelter because this is important to God. The basic needs for us, we, God cares about providing for our basic needs. So food and water and shelter and rest is provided for Elijah, but his soul was still unsettled. So we continue on. The Lord's word came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they want to take my life too. Elijah is desperate. You can hear it in his words. He thinks he's all alone on this journey. And that's really hard to think that. 
Now, in our time today, uh, where, where all the things that are happening in our world, burnout for pastors and church staff and anyone who does ministry work, whether it's a vocation or not, the burnout rate right, right now is really, really high because it's not easy. Everyone has an opinion, and sometimes it feels like we're not even making a dent in our part to bring God's kingdom here on earth. It's exhausting. And I think part of the problem is, is that we view ministry in a microscopic way. Because we only have limited viewpoints and limited experiences ourselves when it comes to God's grand scheme of, of, of God's plan and our, and our little small purpose in that plan. So Elijah is kind of feeling this. He's feeling it and he's giving up. So he's in this cave, he's fearful and he's afraid. So we continue on. It says, the Lord said, go out. And stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound. Thin, quiet. Now, other translations say there was a still, small voice or a still, quiet voice or a gentle whisper or sheer silence or a gentle blowing or a gentle and quiet whisper. Whatever this noise was, whatever the sound was, it was not an in-your-face version of God's booming voice. But how often do we ask for that? How often do we expect that when we ask something of God? Now, we've been praying here at Horizons that God's will would, would be done here at Horizons and, and that we could understand what God's will is for us. And I've been praying this prayer over and over again, and I want a big, loud God voice to tell us what to do next. And that might happen, but it might not. And sometimes I, I think that when we ask God for something, we just keep moving on. Maybe we're too tired from lack of sleep or we're preoccupied with our deteriorating bodies because we haven't cared for them like we should. But Elijah hears God in this quiet whisper, this quiet sound. And then here's how Elijah responds. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they want to take my life too. Did that sound familiar? Because we just read that a few verses ago. 
Elijah says the exact same thing. He repeats exactly what he said, even after he heard God's voice in the whisper. Now, the rest of the passage is God's response. God says, uh, get up and go and return. He says, I'll be there with you. I'll help you. There will still be an Israel army in the end of this. And the passage continues with God reassuring him, letting him know that he, he's not alone, that there are other people there that he can appoint and help and help, to help him. And that a God will ultimately prevail. Now, sometimes we can get so caught up in ministry. We can get so caught up in our purpose that we lose sight of others who are right beside us also doing ministry work. We lose sight of our purpose or we lose sight of God's calling on our lives. We we can lose sight of, of the importance of our basic needs to continue on in ministry. We lose sight even though, even when we know God is speaking to us. Now, here's what I thought about when I studied this passage, a passage full of frustrations and giving up and God providing basic needs, spiritual needs and physical needs. So here's what I thought. I wondered if Elijah had a rule of life and if that could have helped him maintain a better perspective on things. Maybe he would understand that a run would help him. But rather, instead of of running into the wilderness, into his death, he he could instead nourish his body with movement and food and in other ways that glorify God. And then after he did that, when he was in a better place, he could have asked the Spirit to guide him on the rest of his work as a prophet. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are called to honor and care for ourselves, recognizing that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just as plants require basic care and attention, they also require specific care and attention. Trust me, I've killed enough plants in my home to know that you can't do the same thing with every plant. And just like us, there are are specific things that we need to do to care for ourselves. So so what we do is we develop a rule of life to guide our self-care practices. Now, here's the definition of a rule of life. There's lots of definitions, but this one comes from a book called Soul Feast. It's a great book. And Marjorie says this, a rule of life is a pattern of spiritual disciplines that provides structure and direction for growth and holiness. It is like a trellis. It curbs our tendency to wander and supports our frail effort to grow spiritually. It fosters gifts of the Spirit in personal life and human community, helping to form us into the persons God intends us to be. A rule of life establishes healthy habits, habits such as adequate sleep and nutrition and exercise and intentional spiritual practices. It helps us create a, a structure of sorts that supports our overall well-being, ensuring that we can 
thrive and fulfill our calling. Now, contrary to the, to the teachings of the Gnostics, scripture affirms that we are multifaceted beings. We are created in God's image in that way. Now, these Gnostic teachings, uh, these teachings are teachings where, where the body and the earth are, are bad, they're evil, and that we should do what we can to escape them, to go on to the next world. But that's not what the scripture says. The scriptures teach us that our bodies and minds and hearts and spirits and souls are, are interconnected and all designed to serve the Lord. Therefore, self-care encompasses nurturing all aspects of our being and recognizing that every aspect is crucial for a holistic self. How much sleep you get glorifies or dishonors God. How we nourish our bodies with food glorifies or dishonors God. How we move our body glorifies or dishonors God. What we read glorifies or dishonors God. What we, how we spend our money glorifies or dishonors God. And on and on, you get the point. So I want to spend some time today helping us understand how a rule of life can do that for us. Now, if you don't have a rule of life, or maybe you have one, but you are, are not currently using it, I challenge you this week to spend some time, even a couple hours, block off a couple hours of your time this week, creating something that will work for you. Now, the host gave you a piece of paper on the way in, and there's some guidelines on, on that piece of paper, but there are hundreds of ways to make a rule of life. You can Google other things or read about other, other ways. And, and I put one of my examples on there. It's, it's changed a little bit now. It's changed over time. I've had really specific and detailed rule of lives. I've had ones that are a little bit more uh, broad and generic. But I think that there are different ways that, that you, we can think about categorizing our rule of life. First of all, we can say, okay, uh, uh, how am I loving God? What are the things that I'm doing to love God? What are the things I'm doing to love others? And what are the things I'm doing to love myself? Or you can, you can say, okay, what are the things I'm doing with my body that glorifies God? What are the things I'm doing with my mind that glorifies God? What are the things I'm doing with my spirit or soul that glorifies God? And, you know, Jesus said the, the greatest commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he said the second commandment is that you will love your neighbor as yourself, which means we're loving both our neighbor and we're also doing things to love ourselves. So when you sit down to create a rule of life, this is the easiest way to do it. You ask yourself, what's working? What are things that I'm doing in my life that help me glorify God, that help me love and be a follower of Jesus? And second question, what are, what are new things? What are things that I've never tried before? Maybe it's spiritual fasting or meditation or, or quiet specific prayer time. And then the third question is, and this one's always the hardest, what things are detrimental to my relationship with God? 
what things are getting in the way of me loving God, loving my neighbor, or loving myself. Now, here's why it's crucial to have a rule of life. If you don't have a rule of life defined by spiritual practices, something else is ruling your life. Chapter 19 in 1 Kings is also where we we read that Elisha will become Elijah's successor. And so here's another important part of caring for, for ourselves. Maybe you have found in ministry exactly what God is calling you to do. Maybe you love working with kids or working with our uh, little free pantries or in the schools or whatever it is. Maybe you found your thing. There will be a time when you will not be able to continue that work. And so there's a couple things with that. First of all, we need to take a Sabbath occasionally. The Sabbath was commanded and modeled by God. That will help us in our ministry. And then the second thing is, is always be thinking of ways to make yourself unnecessary. Now, I read a book one time called The Unnecessary Pastor. And it's about my role as a pastor is to become unnecessary, a role where, where everyone steps in and steps up and the ministry is thriving and I just become the encourager and the supporter and the spiritual guide when needed. So here's the, the real goal of your role, of your purpose that God is calling you to do. It's to do what you are called to do really well. It's to learn and to grow in that role, but that's not all. It's also about making disciples who make disciples. It's about building up other leaders to do the work. It's about becoming unnecessary because that's how we will most effectively share the good news of Jesus. That's how we will continue on in doing God's work. God's work is going to continue on. Uh, Elijah and Elisha are prime examples of how that works. A rule of life is important because it helps us grow. It helps us, uh, it reminds us that this is God's ministry and not our ministry. It reminds us that we're supposed to be caring for ourselves. And caring for ourselves is, is not an act of selfishness but an act of honoring God's creation. So as we nurture ourselves, we we become more equipped to love others and, and, and serve others more effectively. We can embrace a balanced approach to self-care guided by these spiritual disciplines and, 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 and supported by a rule of life. And when we do that, That is when we will find rest in Christ. 
That is when our, our bodies will be nourished and our souls will be nourished and nourished and we will become vessels of love and compassion in the whole wide world, in all of God's creation. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving and holy God, God of creation, you love creation. You said that it was good. You said that humans were very good. But God, we need help balancing loving others and serving others, but also recognizing we need to care for our own physical needs, for our own spiritual needs. And as you reminded Elijah that he was not alone, Remind us that we are not alone. As you reminded Elijah that, that, that you cared for his basic needs and his spiritual needs, remind us that you care that, about that for us too. You, as you reminded Elijah that there were others there just waiting to join into the ministry, remind us that as well. Help us make disciples who make disciples. Help us understand that your ministry is bigger than anything that we can ever imagine. But yet, we all have an important piece of it. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.